totally at the World Cup. You can get back on your horse now, cowboy. Unbelievable, unbelievable this. Day 29, 24 hours after Croatia's wake-up call, totally stumbles in to look ahead to Sunday's World Cup final with all the big questions like, why aren't England in it? Now he cannot stop. Like beer on a high Park evening, did we have the cup in hand but throw it away? And also, more pertinently, how will the two finalists get on at the Luzhniki? Croatia against France. Our World Cup final preview starts here. Hello, in this case specifically, to Michael Cox. Hi, James. To Daniel Story. Hi, James. And to Jack Lang. Hello, James. Jack Lang. Who's the real loser of this World Cup final? I guess Nikola Kalinic, who is sat at home with a back that may be worse than I think it is, but probably not. Right. Refused to come out for the game against Nigeria and was sent home in disgrace. Then's the breaks. Mm, misses out on a World Cup final. Absolutely extraordinary. Football is a country, tweeting of Wednesday night, saying smart of England to lose that game and ensure they're on the easiest side of the draw for the weekend. Crucial to avoid France, in my opinion. Yeah. Too soon, Michael, yeah? Too soon. All right. Well, we are here to discuss the final. We've had the benefit of a little bit more time to digest what happened. And as I say, the first question still, I think, has to be, why aren't England in it on Sunday? I think they really just let the game get away from them in the second half. And I think really it was very obvious to most people watching, including, for example, Glenn Hoddle, who was co-commentating and I thought did a very good job assessing what England's problems were. And that was that Vesalico, who I thought was Croatia's best player in the quarterfinal, was also their key player in the second half here, just left completely unmarked. England's 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 system obviously doesn't have anyone up against uh, up against him. And I thought it was a really simple issue that could have been solved by putting Sterling or or uh, Rashford when he came on onto the left just Mark for Salico and if we'd, if they'd done that I think there's a decent chance England would still be in this competition if he'd done that there's also a chance that Zlatko Dalic might have come up with something himself because he's done a pretty phenomenal job in 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 pushing this team from where he picked them up on the brink of missing out on the World Cup altogether all the way to the final Daniel yeah, he has done. I mean, I'm sure he would pass on a lot of the credit to to the players who somehow managed to summon up the energy after two lots of extra time and penalties and a goal down and dominated in that first half. He must have issued a heck of a team talk at half-time because they came out and they controlled the game in the second half. Was it just a half-time team talk or did he shift things around tactically? Uh, I, I think... I think their plan for the game was better than their plan started for the for the quarterfinal and last 16 game. Having Brozovic... Uh, there made a huge difference. It, it not only gives them more steel at the back, but it it allows Luka Modric to drift further forward. And as soon as Croatia started dominating possession, you saw the impact of Modric having more and more of the ball. And and also the the two wide players, Perisic and Rebic, were able to um, do what they always do, which is whichever one doesn't have the ball, make sure they get a late run into the box for the cross coming in. And obviously that's what we saw for the equalising goal. Chat, what's your take? It was a combination of uh, tiredness. I think Harry Kane was 
out on his feet, especially during extra time, couldn't really contribute. And also probably a little bit of naivety, both from Southgate, who I guess wasn't quite able to tweak the things that might have made a difference in extra time, especially and you know in the second half when the game was clearly getting away from England. Uh, kind of just passed us by, really. And the players, maybe, who, compared to the the savvy of the Croatian players, you know, who are kind of Champions League winners and all this, perhaps a little bit of innocence on our part. If the changes weren't coming from the bench, maybe, I don't know, just someone to show some real leadership, kind of grab the game with a scruff of the neck and say, look, we need to sort this out or we need to change this. I think that was maybe a bit lacking, maybe understandably so, because mm. it's a young side and the tactics had worked well in previous games. But I think there was just a little bit of uh, naivety, I would say. We Should- are able to separate out the mistakes Southgate made in the match and mm. still laud him for the tournament. There mm. seems to be a slight sense amongst pundits and supporters that you have to choose one or either camp. I don't think that's true. I think you can say that he made mistakes as on the night and the biggest night of his career and he is not an experienced manager while also credit him for changing the mood post Euro 2016 in a major tournament which very few people saw him doing. Um, as with all those England players, mistakes were made but you cannot demand a young, hungry, optimistic, buoyant squad and then also expect them to be uh, tactically savvy in every single high-pressure decision. That's not what you get if you if you choose option A. So, yeah, I, I'm broadly positive, but that doesn't mean we cannot criticise players and manage just what happened last night. Mm. And similarly, we can be both pleased about how we've done in the tournament in terms of uh, reaching the semi-final is above all expectations, yet still being a little bit disappointed that maybe this opportunity passed us by uh, when... Probably, I don't think we're going to get much a much better chance to get to a final. Uh, maybe ever. Who knows? Wow, that's a bit of a downer, well, yeah, gee, when, <laughs> Michael, what's your most positive take from, from England's campaign? Well, I think that it's a very young side and um, I think it's very fair to point out they'll, they'll probably be better collectively in two years' time or four years' time. Um, for me, I, I think Southgate's done a very good job in a number of things. He reminds me a little bit of Arsene Wenger, actually, in the sense that the overall feel is right. He's brought through young players. There's a positive style of play. The players are happy. They play for him, etc., etc. But you think sometimes just make that decision, just react to that, and you can win games or you can see games through um, in in a tactical way, in a different way, not in a kind of sexy way, but just the kind of thing you have to do sometimes to get through tournaments. And uh, I think that was lacking. Right. Sometimes you've got to be Winston Churchill, not IDS. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Well, football isn't coming home, but excitingly, totally. Although, actually, no. You know that's wrong, is it? Because in a very real sense, football did come home and all that. And what if the real World Cup is the friends that you make along the way? Mm. Anyway, totally football is going out on the road with uh, waistcoats and optimism. It says here. We're going to be live at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester on the evening of Friday, the 5th of October. Uh, who's going to be there? Well, I will be. Producer Ben. Ooh, Daniel, you're going to be there. Also, fresh out of the New York Times, Rory Smith. And oh, there's someone very exciting in the pipeline for our third guest. A name that's even bigger, perhaps, than those two ones that I've already announced. Might be you, Michael. I'm not sure. And if you want to be there, listener, and why wouldn't you, head to ctickets.com. That's S-E-E, ctickets.com, and search for Totally Football Live, and you can find out all the exciting details. Now, 
Let's hear about Croatia, how they responded to Wednesday night's event, how they feel going into Sunday's big game with France. We speak now to our man in Croatia, Juraj Verdoljak. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Juraj, congratulations. You're in the final. Given that, what, a year ago, you looked like you might not even make it to the World Cup. What do you think about that? I mean, what, what could you say about it? Uh, it's an amazing achievement. Uh, it's something that, well, even with all the, the individual talent uh, in this squad, nobody could really expect this type of thing could ever happen. Yeah, it didn't look good at all uh, back, well, only six months ago. Things only took a turn for better. Uh, and yeah, here we are. How are expectations, Yuri? It feels they've, they've been quite contained so far, but are people beginning to dream of a world title now? How, when it comes to uh, one match and one game, final game, everything is possible, of course. Uh, France is a great team, uh, but we could see with this Croatia run, really anything is possible. People are obviously expecting that uh, this is a chance that comes once in a lifetime. Croatia might as well be the world champion on Sunday. Juraj Verdoliak, who, um, I have to say, is taking a very pragmatic view, isn't he? I mean, you can't feel the pre-World Cup final tension in, in his voice chat, can you? Maybe that's just supreme confidence. Possibly so. It certainly seemed to be... Uh, well, post, would you post-semi-final hangover... Maybe. Possibly. Would you be confident if you were Euro? Or if you were any kind of Croatian supporter? Uh, I think I agree with him that the the way they've got to this final has probably improved their chances rather than damaged them. You know, obviously there'll be a lot of miles in the legs. That could have an impact, but I think... Well, that extra 90 minutes that they've played. Yeah, but, you know, these are all, these are all fit guys. We know, obviously... We've seen Mandzukic, uh, you know, limping around and Subasic just looks like he's carrying a knock. But having passed through such, uh, you know, such a gauntlet, I suppose, three games, that can only galvanise your self-belief. It looked like, you know, this is a team that are all battling for each other. You know, look at the defensive performances. A lot of lot has been made about Lovren because of his post-match quotes, but I thought Domagoj Vida was sensational against England. I think thought he was the best player on the pitch, maybe apart from Vasalko, who had a more, more of an attacking influence. But these are guys who are, you know, they're willing to go to the limit for their team. And I, I think that might go a long way, although, you know, still... He epitomises Vida, their, their kind of die-hard approach, which he may have picked up from being part of uh, Hans Gruber's team in the uh, eponymous <laughs> movie. Of course, things worked out better for him on Wednesday than they did in that we were, film. We were debating in the pub last night whether he looked... Someone said he looked like a, a Bond villain, but oh. we actually decided that he looked more like, you know, a, a mid-level goon. Yeah. Like, I, don't think he, I don't think he'd get promoted to quite the top of the, the pyramid, but I think he'd do a job. Just thinking, though, I hear what you're saying about the boost that the semi-final will give them, but tired legs. When you've got tired legs, the last thing you want to be doing is facing people like Mbappé. That is true, but if France are going to play the same way they did against Belgium, where they kind of tried to soak up the pressure and then hit on the counter, that'll suit Croatia fine with Luka Modric playing that sort of advanced midfield role. He'll just try and 
tick, tick the ball around and that might work quite well. It'll be interesting to know if Deschamps feels that they need to be more proactive with their attacking um, to try and run Croatian legs exactly as England did in the first half. Because if they play the same way, then it feels to me that they're slightly letting Croatia off the hook. Mike, Michael, we were saying the other day about how you beat France. And I know it was a question that perplexed you a little bit and it, I think it would, with the players they've got it would perplex anyone. Any further thoughts on that? If you were Croatia, what, what would you try and do? Um, I mean, I think I think Vesalico again, you know, for the third game in a row could be a major influence here. France have got Matuidi on that flank who is good defensively but has liked tucking inside. So he might leave space on, on the outside. To be honest, I fancy France. I think they're a much better team, stronger defence. Um, I think not just the fact that Croatia have played a game more, but they've got one day less rest mm. before this game. I think when you look back at the last few World Cup finals, that often uh, you know makes a big difference, uh, an extra day's rest. So I think France are strong favourites here, and I think they've been... Uh, I've quite liked them since the second game, actually, France. I know everyone else has been quite negative about them. I, I, I thought Australia first game out, they were really poor. But as soon as Giroud came into the side, they just have the right defensive balance. They've had moments of, of brilliance from Mbappe. And Griezmann, who I don't think has quite been on top form, but has a knack of uh, providing crucial goals at a big moment. So I think strong, uh, France are strong favourites. Mm. Jack, would you concur? Uh, yes, I would. I think that you look at the midfield, I think France have the tools to combat the threat of Modric more, much more than England did. Uh, N'Golo Kante is having a great tournament. He can get close. Paul Pogba is also, I think, quietly having a very good World Cup. He's kind of... Got the got the legs and got the stamina, and you know I think he has the desire I think to get through the defensive work under Deschamps, and I think that together they can jointly snuff out a bit of Modric's threat and stop him having the same kind of room and influence he did against England. And I think that could make a big influence in the way the game goes. Well, Jack, that's what you say. But what about Julian Laurent? What does he think about Sunday's game, and how much is he looking forward to it? Oh my word, he's on the line right now. Let's ask him, Jules. Hello, guys. Hello. Are you excited? Very, very excited. Very, very excited. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's another final two years after the, the huge disappointment of, of, of the Euros. It looks like the French players are, are approaching this one very differently, that they've learned a lot from the one two years ago, which I think is a positive thing. I think they, they're quite worried about this Croatia team who came, you know, came back from the dead, basically, almost before the tournament. And... Seems that never tired and seems to pull out, you know, incredible performances one after the other. So I think they will be quite cautious going to this final and not over complacent like they were two years ago, for example. I see. Here's something else that might worry you. Gavin writes in, he says, the amount of goals scored by France was halved in every knockout stage. Four in the last 16, two in the quarters and just one in the semi-final. Will this trend continue? Asked Gavin. <laughs> Good question, Gavin. You know what? I think this team is so strong mentally and physically and is so confident, but not, not overconfident in terms of, of, of arrogance, but just confident in their, in their own ability that to break them, it will have, you know, someone will have to be very, very strong. And I think they know they will get chances because they always create chances, whether they all take, they, they, they take them all or not. It's a different matter. 
they showed how resilient they are and I disagree with Gavin I think they will score in the final even just one goal is enough even if it comes from a from a defender like he did in the quarterfinal and in the semi-final I don't think it will matter much but I, yeah I think they will they will score OK. Uh, Jules, the pressure's all on France here, though, surely, no? They, they have the, the team that has to come home with a, a, a victory, getting to the final and then taking on the unfancied Croatia. That, there must be huge expectations of Deschamps. Yeah, but for, from, what, from, the, from what the boys have, have, have told me, for example, they, they don't see it like that at all. They, they, for example, they say the pressure two years ago was far bigger because we were, you know, at home and it was our own country and and it feels so far away from us now. And I don't think they saw it like this. They say we're not we're not why would we be favorite? Why are we favorite? You know, Croatia came back from one goal down against England and won. They had three extra times in a row. They won two penalty shoots in a row. They show how strong they are mentally, how resilient they are. Well, you know, they've got great players as well. They have their golden generation, you know that Modric, Rakitic, Mandzukic, they're all similar age, Koryuka. That's their golden generation and the, the expectation for that golden generation to win something is huge as well. So they're saying like, we don't feel more pressure. We don't feel like we're the favourite. And they're so focused on what, on what they do and what they do so well, which is basically breaking down everything that is coming towards them, that they say this is going to be no different. It's a game like, like another one. But this time we want the trophy that we missed out two years ago, that we should have won. We, me- we messed up two years ago, it was our fault, and this time we're not going to make the same mistake again. Jules, you know this team so well. Let your friends in on a little secret. What is the weak spot? What is the thermal exhaust port of this kind of Death Star-esque French side? I, well, I think, and I don't, I don't want to single him out, but I really, the only little weakest thing really, I think, is that, is that right back with the young Benjamin Pavard, who, you know, came out of nowhere to, to come in this squad and then to start. Everybody expected CDB to start. He got injured towards the end of the season with Monaco, never really got back to his best. And then Pavard took his chance, really. He was outstanding against Argentina, scored a wonderful goal. Um, but he struggled against Eden Hazard in the, in the semi-final. And you saw that for the first 25 minutes. He couldn't, he couldn't breathe, the poor kid. I mean, it was painful to watch. It must have been painful for him to play those first 25 minutes. So if Perisic, for example, is in the form that he's been against England, uh, I think Pavard could struggle again. And he needs some help, whether that's from Varane or Pogba or Mbappe. He needs some, he needs some help on that, on that right-hand side. Apart from him... On the rest, I have to say, and this is not me being arrogant or anything, I can't see any weakness leak in that, in that French team at all. Like I said, I think for Croatia to win, they will have to be super, super, super strong. Jules, you sound confident, but how much sleep are you going to get between now and Sunday? <laughs> yeah, may, maybe on Saturday night I'll, I'll struggle a bit. You know, we, um, it's funny because in, in 1998, if you remember, we had the... The lucky charm was Laurent Blanc kissing the, the bald forehead of, or the bald head of, of Fabien Barthez in 2006, which didn't end up as well as 98. But the players at the time had created their own slogan, which was, we live together and we die together. And they, they kept saying that to each other before the games, at half times, after games, etc. And that led them to the final that we know. And this year is a bit different. It's uh, Adil Rami's moustache which is the lucky charm. I don't know if you've seen the, the story, but uh, Adil Rami, who is, by the way, Pamela Anderson's boyfriend, um, has a, you know, a, a hipster beard, if you want, with his moustache. And, and the players now, before the game, goes, they go to him 
and they touch the moustache. And this is the lucky charm. And they've done that since the, the start of the knockout stage. And he's obviously worked against Argentina and then Uruguay and Belgium now. So they're all going to be at it on, on Sunday, hoping that it will bring them luck and they bring the trophy back. Listeners, there are just a few shows left of our World Cup run, but as things wrap up in Russia, they're just getting started with this year's Tour de France and the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport is your essential guide to the other greatest sporting event on earth. Each week, Sir Brad and expert guests from around the cycling world will be analysing the leading contenders for the yellow jersey and looking back on the key events from the 21 stages of this year's tour. The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Subscribe now on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Jack, you've got a moustache, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) Not quite as impressive one. All right, well, Sunday it is, France against Croatia, very much the climax, I'd venture, of this whole World Cup month experience. We've asked listeners for their moments, their special memories, favourite goals, that kind of thing. Bless them, they've responded. I know you guys want to pitch in with yours. Let's start off with a question from Grieve, who who says, was the media bias against Russia's suitability to host the World Cup somewhat unfounded, given the largely positive accounts of all who have been uh, shared? And will we see the same for Qatar? What do you think? Uh, I think it's important, and I know other people have said it's not groundbreaking to say, but World Cups don't exist in countries. They exist in World Cupville in countries. Russia have been very, very effective at quelling any problems that we suspect it would happen and that's a very good thing and congratulations to do that but we don't know how they've done that and also we certainly don't know whether those problems have been eliminated or just put on hold for four weeks right and how much this applies to a country like Qatar where the problems the logistical problems are quite different and not really the kind that you can resolve by I'm actually trying it sounds silly but I'm basically trying not to think of Qatar at the moment because something will happen to either postpone it or change it or I will make my moral judgment later on but okay. no, I'm just not thinking all right well let's let's focus on on this which has been in whatever kind of pop-up state uh has been an absolutely fantastic World Cup to watch Tony Hannon writes in he says uh moments of the World Cup Ronaldo's free kick against Spain hmm? Chucky Lozano's against Germany Tony Cruz against Sweden that messy goal against Nigeria Quite a complete list, this actually. A South Korean celebrations against Germany, Mbappe running goals against Argentina, De Bruyne and Hazard against Brazil, and Mandzukic's winner against England. I'd actually opt for Perisic against England. That was a phenomenal bit of control, wasn't it, Michael? It was very impressive, yeah. I mean, to get his foot that high and to meet the ball at exactly the right time, at the right angle, it was, um, I must say, it took me about several replays to work out how good it was, maybe because I was so. You know, distraught at the nature of the equaliser. No, I'm exaggerating for comic effect. Oh, but, I see. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Once you got over the, the oh, England have conceded, you yeah. think, actually, that's a very good goal. Well done. What was your favourite goal of this tournament? I would go for Benjamin Pavard's goal against Argentina. Oh, my God! Oh, my First international goal. Uh, incredible dip and swerve, and I think it kind of summed up a lot of the very good goals at this World Cup. Um, which have been based around curve. Um, the players have been able to control the ball well from long-range shots, from set pieces, and that's contributed to many of the goals. And I don't think we would have had that in 2010 where there was just such an obvious problem with the balls flying around all over the place. Fair enough. Jack, what was your favourite goal? I will give it jointly to Messi's goal, which I thought was just a thing of beauty, and Denis Cheryshev's second against Saudi Arabia with the outside of the boot. I thought that was lovely. Cheryshev! 
fantastically for Russia. The two real moments of quality in the game have come from... It was lovely, wasn't it? Daniel, what was your favourite? I'll go for Suarez and Cavani, the longest 1-2 in history. Cavani plays the long ball, Suarez collects it, fires in the cross. Cavani faces the ball into the goal um, at incredible speed. Uh, there haven't been that many uh, team goals in this World Cup, and I guess a 1-2 isn't really a team goal, but it felt like a strike force working in perfect tandem. It was astonishing to watch. Sam Carney says Messi's goal against Nigeria, but in general, Maradona's antics, Germany's exit, Ronaldo's hat-trick, and England winning on penalties. That was certainly felt like one of the most his- historic bits. Oh, he had some great little you know when when you look away from the goals into the kind of uh, more ephemeral little funny moments there've been plenty of those as well i really remember the uh, that roly poly throw in from <laughs> iran it was a personal highlight but uh, still chuckling about that in the iran, uh, sure. the stray white carrier bag that seemed to do more movement than the whole of Germany's attack during the Sweden game, just lurking between the lines. Oh, I missed that. One of my players of the tournament, actually. <laughs> Sensational. So what, no, I missed that entirely. What, what was that? Oh, it was Germany were huffing and puffing against Sweden and not finding a way through until the end. There was a, a lone carrier bag just drifting in the midfield, kind of taking up the positions that like Tom, Thomas Beauty. Muller should have been. Right. Uh, yeah, it's very... He, just. He plays for the Azerbaijani champions. <laughs> <laughs> carrier bag. I get that. Uh, lovely. All right. Wait, uh, do you have any other ephemera or should we move on to players of the tournament? Who, Michael, for example, would you nominate? I actually don't think there's been a standout player of this tournament. Really? I think maybe you have to now consider Modric after his very good displays. But for such a fun tournament, I'm not sure the actual level of quality has quite been there. I don't think there's a great team in this tournament. I don't think France are as good as they might have been. I'm not sure Croatia any better than two years ago. They've got through three games... Um, after 90 minutes, if I can put it that way. Um, and the same thing for players. I mean, Modric has been good, Mbappe has been good in, well, very good in one and a half games, but I don't see a player, you know, as we've witnessed in previous tournaments. There's been no Hammers from 2014, mm-hmm. no Iniesta from previous Euros, no Pirlo. Yeah, it's it's. there's been some very high-quality football, but maybe not quite at the top level as, as you'd expect for a World Cup. But it has been vastly entertaining, to watch more entertaining certainly than I think you thought it was going to be. I remember your words before the tournament started. Yeah, I mean, I thought the group stage was going to be quite tedious, partly as a result of the the different way that uh, the tournament had been seeded. But no, it was outstanding. I mean, I think that Ronaldo goal in the um, Portugal-Spain game just seemed to kickstart it. Ronaldo through the line! A great goal fest between two really good teams I think is is what I'm in the market for and, and that kick-started the tournament right brilliant well what actually kick-started the tournament was Robbie Williams of course with that magnificent <laughs> that finger. magnificent pre you know uh, opening ceremony I've got other some other suggestions here uh, favourite moments Ramos in tears after Russia not Spain out Maradona just any number of kind of Maradona bits <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the commentators mocking a, a Japanese fan for celebrating Japan going through when they were going out, when it, except it turned out it was the commentators who hadn't done their sums. Uh, Pickford save in that England Columbia shootout. Backer looks confident. Saved by Pickford! 
A great big hand from England's goalkeeper has just given Eric Dyer the chance to send England through. Wait, what, what else, Daniel? I was going to say, player of the tournament for me, if he has a very good game on Sunday, I'd say N'Golo Kante's got a chance. I don't think he will be named the golden ball at all. Um, France had one game against Argentina where they conceded as more shots than they'd like and kind of obviously conceded three goals in the game. But other than that, the way he allows that attack to flourish and even allows Paul Pogba to do his thing and Blazing Sweeney to push up more than he would otherwise because he's that screen, I think he's still, even after all he's done, being slightly underrated. Jack? I agree with, with both Modric and... Kante, who are both on my notes here. But if I had to add another name, it'd probably be Raphael Varane. Okay. I think he's been quietly excellent for France, a defence that, again, as Daniel said, was breached against Argentina. But in the two games since, I think they've been impeccable. And he just spreads calm throughout the back line. I thought he's been really good. Right. So Varane was good, and so was the VAR. But here's my question, just to kind of finish off this segment... What what happened? Did they bin it for the knockout stage? It feels like we haven't heard anything from VAR. I do think that they, this is conspiracy theorists, but I do think that they've had a word and said, stop going to the screen as much, stop making it as big a deal. I think the referee, I don't think there's any less going to the referee's ears, but it seems too much of a coincidence that we had one, basically at least one a game and sometimes two or three a game in the group stage. With the referee walking over to the side of the pitch. And then just as it was getting flat because of that, especially it ended with that kind of, Varsical, Spain, Iran and Portugal, Morocco. Yeah, Nordin Amrabat. Exactly. Mouthing off on, on live and it, TV. It, it can't be a coincidence that we've it's fallen off a cliff in terms of its screen usage after that. But if that has happened, then it's been a welcome change because I think we've not noticed it for the last two weeks of the tournament, which is great. Right. I'll tell, tell you what also has been a highlight for me is multiple teams not understanding the rules about kickoff. And I mean England among them. Yeah, yeah. Tried last night. On, on the highest level of football, you've just got this complete confusion and players who seem to think they're able to score a goal without any opposition. It's been absolutely incredible. I think also high in the whole incredibility stakes as well, we'd have to mention Germany after getting themselves back into a qualifying position against Sweden with that late goal, then essentially abdicating against South Korea. Really puzzling performance there. And here's Sean to wrap it up. All alone. Sean Jamin! South Korean euphoria. It won't keep them in, but it'll put them in the history books. The first team to knock Germany out of the first phase since 1938. Yeah, that was bizarrely bloodless from them. Too many of their players didn't turn up. And similar story for, for Spain, I suppose. Just kind of uh, anemic possession when they exited the tournament to Russia, having never really got started. They looked very good, I thought, for periods against Portugal, but against Morocco and against Iran, I thought they were uh, fairly drab. And yeah, I think it's it's interesting that so few of the, the pre-tournament favourites have really come to the table. Unbelievable, unbelievable this. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we've talked a lot about the best bits, but one thing we haven't mentioned, perhaps because it feels like a little bit of a cliche, is the whole sensation of football's coming home. Daniel, in your 16 conclusions on England's defeat to Croatia, you say, it sounds awfully twee, but I won't apologise for it. It's coming home was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Millions of different age, background and ethnicity singing that song together while celebrating each England goal and win was proof enough that football had already returned. 
Yeah, because football coming home was it was never about arrogance, which I think has been hugely misinterpreted since. I'm sure some people maybe did it through arrogance, but on the whole, it clearly wasn't. It was about a, a team and a support that had become completely apathetic towards the England team. Not just international friendlies, but even international qualifiers had become bored events. They'd become... Well, Wembley wasn't being sold out. Fans were saying, oh, I just want the Premier League back. And we'd fallen out of love with the England team. And to have come from there in England's two worst tournaments in 2014 and 2016 that I can remember to here is is huge, huge improvement. Well put. All right, well, England do make another appearance at this World Cup and it's on Saturday's Third Fools Playoff. Big Kane-Lukaku battle, perhaps. Or not, we shall see. But uh, before we sign off, let's get some odds on that match and the race for the Golden Boot and Ball. Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. I've got Lee Price on the line out in Red Square, having been at the Luzniki last night. Lee, not the result anyone wanted, but go on. England are up against Belgium for the second time in this tournament. Tell us what's going to happen on Saturday night. Yeah, so England are battling for the uh, bronze medal here. They're 7-4 to to get the victory, which is actually the same price as Belgium, interestingly. Maybe neither side cares, a bit like the group game. Uh, draw is 5-2, to two, but that really would prolong the misery. And what about the race for the golden boot, Lee? Yeah, Harry Kane is now odds-on to win the golden boot for the World Cup. And not just odds-on, massively odds-on. He's 1-20. to 20. His nearest contender, we think, is Lukaku, who is 25-1. Griezmann's 40-1, Mbappe 50-1. But save your money, this is not a market to be betting on. Well, as you say, perhaps more interestingly then, the player of the tournament award, a.k.a. the Golden Ball, what are the markets doing there? We think Mbappe's going to win this one. He's even money to get the Golden Ball. Harry Kane is 9-2, Luka Modric 13-2. Harry Maguire might be off a bit of value here, 80-1. I guess it depends what happens this weekend. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org and when the fun stops, stop. All right, France have given us the worst game of this tournament. Their nil-nil draw with Denmark. Will they on Sunday sign off with one of the greatest finals? Let's hope so. We're going to be here straight after the final whistle, giving you the final totally at the World Cup. Uh, Michael, you're going to be with us for that, alongside Sasha and Tom Williams, and, and maybe one or two others. Excellent, I'll see you there. Right. Jack, you're a fas- officially... I'm a fascist. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but basically, yeah, yeah, that it's been amazing. I so much expertise, so much knowledge. Thank you for all your input on our World Cup coverage. Uh, and Daniel, I know Sunday you're going to be busy trying to fashion 16, trying to keep yourself to just 16 conclusions. Yeah, any previous World Cup finals to come by, it will be pushing it rather than are you doing one for saturday for the third fourth playoff no i'm not working saturday no i see all right well if you're hungry for other things in the meantime listener there is a special golazzo uh, that we did with james horncastle all about ronaldo's move from real madrid to juventus that i think is up by now but if that's not for you then we'll see you back here late sunday night monday morning for our coverage of the final game of this World Cup 2018 France against Croatia. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, you can tweet us at The Totally Show. But from all of us here for now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. 
but then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at The Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.